Welcome to this week's episode of the HC Hive, a podcast about all things HCI, UX, and grad school. We're now in Hershali, students in Georgia Tech's Human Computer Interaction Program. In this episode, we will be talking about the engineering interview process for people in HCI. We have Vernith and Matt with us today. Vernith, why don't you start us off with some introduction and tell us a little bit about yourself. So hi, I'm Vernith. My first academic endeavor started around fifth or sixth grade uh, when I started programming in HTML, CSS. And I was introduced to HCI in a class called Designing Human-Centered Systems in my third year during undergrad. I did my undergrad in computer science. And then I joined a lab uh, which did HCI research and published in HCI conferences. So I was lucky enough to actually get a paper in CHI 2019. And that's when I decided to pursue HCI for my master's. And then I came to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's program was pretty flexible, which appealed me. So here I am doing HCI. And since I have a bachelor's in computer science and I always have loved engineering so i tend to go for more engineering specific roles than uh, more ux roles great that's an awesome introduction i feel like i didn't know all <laughs> that about you um thank you for cool having me and we're yeah of course all right matt how about you why don't you introduce yourself hi i'm matt rossman i'm a first year in the hci program here i've been studying remotely from massachusetts uh, for this first year I did my undergrad in computer science as well. Um, I studied that at UMass Amherst, and I've always had a kind of persistent interest in uh, non-traditional interfaces through stuff like virtual and augmented reality. So when I was looking for master's programs, uh, the Georgia Tech program stood out because they have some faculty here that are working on really cool stuff in that space. So yeah, ever since then, I've been I've been focusing on 3D and XR kinds of experiences, and especially ones that run on web technology. Thanks for um, joining us, everyone. I'm really happy to hear like how you guys got into HCI, how you got to Georgia Tech, and just those really short and sweet introductions. Our last episode, uh, we actually spoke about resumes and portfolios a little bit more broadly. But as engineers, what do you guys specifically want to showcase through your resume or portfolio? And more specifically, as engineers in HCI, what is it about other engineers that you think would impress you? I think I would probably focus more on the portfolios. I have not really put as much um, emphasis on my resume just because I think my portfolio is getting more viewers. But when I was working on my portfolio, it was important to showcase that I can make stuff that is meaningful. So I wanted to show things on my portfolio that actually work and show the real world impact of those things. So that meant including live links to stuff that actually runs and kind of showing video overviews of how something works in the wild. As far as things about others' portfolios that um, impresses me, I think the first is just the basics of making sure that they can actually communicate effectively, because I think that a lot of engineers tend to suffer on the communication front of just kind of having a lot of disorganized, cluttered information, some kind of like wall of text. So that's where the, the HCI and like the more design side can, can benefit. And when I was looking to make my own portfolio, I spent a lot of time looking at other people's and kind of taking notes of what stuff really jumped out at me. And I definitely like when there is something kind of flashy 
on the page, something that makes it kind of stand out from a typical web design. And so that could mean some kind of unique interactivity on the site. Like we were talking before this about uh, Varnet having like a game on there or something and like animation sounds, something like that to make it kind of stand out. But also whenever I go to a website that has some like really crazy graphics or something on it, I also am always checking if you can navigate that kind of a thing with a keyboard. Um, if it has some kind of like reasonable amount of accessibility. And unfortunately, most of the time you can't. So I think that also it's, it's like a double-edged sword. Like you want to make something that stands out, but if you are, if that causes you to fail the fundamentals, then that kind of goes to negative points in my book. And I guess the other thing that would impress me is if they've made something that I've actually used before, whether it's a web, like an app that I've used before, or maybe they've contributed to a open source library that I've used, then that makes me feel like I have some kind of connection. And then on the resume front, like I said, that's not as big of a focus for me, but generally if it looks nice and is very easily readable and looks like it's concise, then then that, that's probably the only thing that I'm really looking for on a resume, honestly. Yeah, I love pretty much everything you said. You really hit a lot of different perspectives in terms of how you communicate through a portfolio or resume, um, kind of keeping that clean um, and concise, mm -hmm. but then at the same time being open to like, really creating those things that would stand out, whether it's something that's flashy, whether it's animation or those type of things. Something that um, you mentioned just now that for someone who's not an engineer that really stood out to me was how you said that or what you want to include in your portfolio, at least is a link to the live version of what you created or a demo or a video. I think that's really important just across the board, actually, because I think sometimes with our portfolios, we focus on the projects when we took part of it and like it might have screenshots in there, it might have photos, but then it just ends. So we talk about like the story um, behind the project, but I think showing that the project lives on um, is a really cool thing to add mm -hmm. as well. So thank you for sharing a lot of great things there. Um, Varnet, what are your thoughts? Do you kind of agree with Matt or what other things do you kind of look out for in a resume or a portfolio? So on a broad level, I agree with Matt a lot. A couple of different things which I have found in my experience is that if you're solely looking for engineering roles, uh, which means that you are not looking for UX design or UX research or PM roles or anything like that, if you are very focused and you know that you want to go into engineering, then portfolio is not a must. It's a good to have, but if you don't have a portfolio, that doesn't count you out of the race because in engineering, like around 80% of the people do not have a portfolio. So that's not really that big of a deal. But as Matt mentioned, uh, there were two things which I re which really resonated with me. One was if you have a portfolio or a resume, have things that work there. In many interviews, when I've talked about previous apps, employers have actually downloaded the apps live on the Play Store and checked it out for themselves. So inside the CS community, people do a lot of projects and they are constantly overlapping using the same technologies and they're trying to do similar sorts of things. But people really appreciate when you get things that work. As Matt said, you have a link to things that are deployed. And the second thing which I really liked was when there's something that resonates like open source libraries or projects that you have heard of or even like links to publications that adds a lot of validity in terms of your work because your work could just be uh, something that you did for one semester and you can make a lot of CS projects or a lot of engineering projects sound cool. But when you know that the project lives on and is actually working, that really helps and stand out. 
in terms of resume i would say what really impresses me is seeing impact more than the work if your work is even simple and you're using a technology in an innovative way to create impact that really stands out I really like what I'm hearing from I think both of you guys is this emphasis on functionality and like real output and that's something that I think from design and researchers like I feel like we aspire for that but it's never really the emphasis for us we create something and then it kind of goes into the void mm-hmm. it just kind of goes into the world and whether it gets applied or not um we hope that it gets applied no. but we don't always have like the, the receipts you know to show that it it really created impact but I love that for engineers you guys have like a real emphasis on like but did you deliver you know d- does it do the thing that you want it to do does it work right i think that's something that like we as researchers and and designers and people mm-hmm. not in engineering can really yeah. learn small thing um, that i want to add that i've seen uh, from a huge difference between like ux portfolios resumes versus engineering ones is that uh, and i think that's the like the difference between the fields as well there's no right or wrong way in ux portfolios we talk a lot about the process but in engineering portfolios the end result is really important that's i think a big difference between what we want to showcase in a ux versus an engineering portfolio or resume or anything wow that's like a really great distinction to make um i'd like never thought of that thank you wow cool so Once you have like a banger portfolio or a resume and, and you've talked to a recruiter or whatever, you've sort of caught the eye of a company. What type of interview and hiring process can engineers expect? What are kind of like the steps, like the types of challenges or the activities mm-hmm. that you have to do that companies usually to like evaluate you as engineers? And like as people in HCI and have experience with UX, like do you guys know if there's any unique steps that go into UX engineering? So actually I've been like uh, lucky enough to interview a bit and actually get a couple of job offers as well so the short answer to your last question that is are there any unique step for ux engineering roles is no it's a nice. regular engineering role and people usually come from cs backgrounds who want to do like front end engineering as well or like any sort of uh engineering role they generally come from engineering backgrounds with regards to the steps that we usually have to do it could be a couple of programming rounds or uh, they can range from just one programming round to up to three programming rounds in various fidelities it could be like a timed hacker rank couple of questions which you have to do and then you get evaluated it could be a take home programming assignment which you have to present later and at times i have to do in person programming as well that uh, there's a person on a video call and i have to screen share and code in front of them and show them like how i think and how i work through the constraints and everything and apart from that then there's like regular interviews describe your projects uh and then a couple of hr rounds and all those things okay nice so some sort of interviewing practices or interviewing questions and then some more kind of typical Yeah. experience HR. That's nice. Okay, so that seems fairly straightforward. Actually, I wanted to ask Garnet a question based mm-hmm. on his response, which is um what kinds of companies were those? Were those like the kind of large big name companies that you're talking about or were they smaller companies? Oh, uh, I would say like if you are going for engineering roles, even like the most UX related engineering roles you can think of like front end developer or ui developer or something in both 
uh, small scale and large scale firms, you are expected to do all those programming exercises. I would say in all, because your job is to code, so you will have to demonstrate that you have you can code. Okay. The reason I was asking is because I've actually had a very different experience during this season of job hunting. Um, in the past, mine has been kind of similar to what Varnett has been describing with having those kinds of multiple rounds of interviews and like kind of coding mm -hmm. sessions. So I've, I've had that in the past for um, software engineering jobs and they would ask also like the questions like, tell me about the hardest problem you had to solve or something like that. Yeah. How did you solve it? And this time around, I've had a very different experience where the interviews that I have feel almost more like I'm interviewing the company rather than the other way around. The typical format is the recruiter is taking the opportunity to explain what their company's vision is and what their goals are, what maybe some projects are that they're trying to accomplish. And then they ask me a little bit about my experience using certain technologies mm -hmm. or my experience within a certain domain and trying to figure out how my interests align with their goals and there's been no technical aspects to those interviews there's been no coding or no, no kinds of coding challenges um, or asking anything specific about how do you implement this using x framework and i think that the factor that causes that is um, more this like the size of the company um, because all of the companies that i've been interacting with have been very small companies and more like kind of like startup size Okay. And the way that they they find me, which I think we'll probably talk about a little bit later, is like they, they are once they've found me, they already kind of understand what kind of skills that I have. So I think that that's why it's not as much mm -hmm. of a focus during the interview is because they already know a little bit about me beforehand and oh. what kind of skills I have. So the I think they're just trying to get a better understanding of that, and they don't they they might have already seen my portfolio and they've already seen that I have. Mm -hmm. the ability to implement stuff using a, a certain framework or something. So mm -hmm. the, the content of the interview has been very different. Uh, I have a question for you, Matt. Are you like interviewing for internship roles? Yes, that is another factor. I'm sure that is, yeah. different. is because I'm a first year student. I'm only yeah. looking at intern. Yeah, I think that could also be like a big difference maker because I actually interviewed only for UX role for internships. Like I did not uh, look for engineering roles during my internship hunt, but I've been looking for engineering roles only for full-time only. So I think uh, you are vetted and you go through the process more if you are getting hired as a full-time engineer than an intern. That's really interesting because I've seen like designers go through like eight different steps for their design interviews as interns. Mm -hmm. And and then it's interesting, Matt, to hear that you're basically hearing or learning about companies in your internships, yeah. interviews. So that, that's kind of interesting, huh? I, I don't know where to pin that is out there, where that really comes from, but interesting to think about. It's really cool hearing both your experience, Matt, lately, like interviewing for internships and then as well as yours, Varnet, for um, your full-time engineering roles, those differences. We touched on a lot of different factors here in terms of the type of role, the type of company. I think all around, I think it could also depend on like timeline. Um, I know like spring semester, even in the beginning last year when we were interviewing for different internships, I was um, interviewing for a lot of UX research ones. But I remember in like February slash March, there were lots of rounds, lots of steps. There were like case studies, research presentations um, and things like that. But then I think once it hit April, maybe companies 
kids were like, oh, like these mm-hmm. people are about to end their semester. So then it was just maybe two quick phone calls, kind of how Matt mentioned, mm-hmm. like a recruiter talking about the role, seeing if we're still interested, if our skills align and if we would make a great fit for each other. So it went both ways. So it's really interesting to see like the differences. And I'm curious why they're so different. But yeah, thanks for um, sharing those stories and your perspectives. And that was really cool to hear. So you mentioned these different factors or the interview and like hiring process for engineers, but what are some ways that you all think that people can prepare for the interview process, especially for someone in HCI or UX? So kind of building off what I was describing before, and I'm sure on this question as well, I'm going to have a very different experience than Barnett, but because there was not really any tough technical questions in my interviews, there hasn't really been anything to study for like there has been for those more typical engineering roles where you actually do have coding challenges. So there's not much to prepare for in that regard. However, I think the preparation for me was more setting the foundation for how I even get those get to those interviews in the first place. I, I found that building an online presence was a huge factor that changed that process for me by, by focusing a lot on publishing stuff that I make online. And for me personally, that has been mainly through Twitter. I've over the past year started becoming a lot more active on Twitter and just sharing everything that I make there. That has been like the preparation aspect for me, just making it clear to the community, to the UX community, like who I am, what kind of stuff I'm interested in, what I work on in my free time. And that eventually also evolved into a more formal portfolio to showcase some of that stuff. Yeah, that was, that was my preparation was just making that very clear to people. And once that was set in place, then I started having people reaching out to me to like set up these interviews. Wow. Yeah, that's great advice. We kind of throw around this term of, or phrase of like building your personal brand or building your online presence, um, whether it's engineering, um, research design, any field. I think it's really great that you kind of saw Twitter as an opportunity to not only share the projects that through school or through work or something like that, but also projects that you kind of do for fun, like on the side. Like I know some of us do like hackathons and like we have these, I don't know, side hustles and like different redesigns that we might do. I mean, we share them on different platforms, but I think it's really important to kind of share the projects that you just enjoy doing because they're fun and like they might be related to engineering, they might not. That's really cool that you do that, Matt. Uh, We'll make sure to follow you on Twitter following this recording. Varnet, how about you? What other steps do you take to prepare for the engineering interview process? Do you also try to create an online presence as well? Or what are strategies do you have in place for that? I would say, um, as Matt said, have a lot of proof of your work. He does it through Twitter. I try to like document everything that I have and I use it to showcase during my presentations. Like I think I'm a bit on the lazier side to have a full-fledged Twitter account or like a portfolio or anything like that. So usually when I have to uh, showcase my projects, I use a lot of photos, I use videos, I use a lot of links to actual prototypes where people can go and interact with themselves. So that's really helpful. Like as I mentioned before, that proof that whatever you did was working is deployed or has impact. That is really important. And the other thing is that there's no alternative to doing programming challenges. If you have to apply to even medium to large size companies, you are expected to go through that 
interview phase where you have to program within time constraints. You have to outperform others. So you have to do your coding challenges. You have to like practice competitive programming a lot. I would say like there's no alternative to it because if you want to go into higher companies or if you want to even change companies, even after getting a couple of years of experience, uh, even software engineering, two or three roles require you to give those programming interviews, uh, do those programming challenges. Um, you use the term just now, uh, I think you said competitive programming, mm-hmm. which yeah. sounds rather intense. Mm-hmm. So good for you for going through all of those things. Cody has a we have athletes on the call with us today. I like this kind of spread of preparation because I think it's easy to think of engineering jobs as just you need to know how to code and then and then you just go in and get a job. I think Matt, to your point of building like a presence and Varnith, I think you also mentioned this of like showing that proof and then really presenting what you made. Mm-hmm. And like we don't think of that as preparation for an interview, but I think that is so important and so key. Honestly, during the interview, it feels like you just point back to that thing and say, here's the proof. Here's how I deliver. Yeah, very interesting to hear that. Um, but okay, so like thinking about engineering and HCI, since we are in an HCI program, uh, you guys are kind of in a unique position where you can apply to non-HCI roles mm-hmm. as well, do sort of typical software engineering or development. So when applying for those roles, those non-HCI, non-UETS roles, how can you present your HCI experience mm-hmm. and skill set? It is an untraditional yeah. background. It isn't most engineers come in with. So then how do you kind of work that background into something that works to your advantage? So I would say like, I try to be really honest uh, in that approach. And I think even as an engineer, I have benefited from the uh, MSHCI program. What I usually say and believe as well is that I now understand the product more. I respect the whole process more uh, for any feature that we currently want to deploy or we want to make. Just talk about different features in general. We, as engineers, we always look about the cost of development, the time of development, the security risks, etc. The users are often not discussed uh, in the engineering background. So after the MSHCA program, I respect the whole process of coming up with those features and understanding why something is like really important when we are developing that's really helped me uh, be a better and more thoughtful engineer nice so a more holistic view of the product development process Uh, very cool Uh, matt how about you how's hci kind of informing your engineering yeah i agree with varnet that it's good to be honest and um upfront about everything and that it does add some diversity um, to your background. I think that there's some similarities in the kinds of thinking that goes behind like HCI and design and development. There's of course different kinds of roles that have different degrees of, you know, on the spectrum from just like full on engineering to like some kind of mix of design and engineering. And for something that is like purely engineering, even that has some design in it because code has to be read certainly by a computer, but also by other humans. And sometimes if you're building like like a coding library or something, um, or building an API, then certainly other humans need to actually consume that. And you can definitely tell the difference between an API that has been well-designed and poorly designed. And then as you slide up the scale towards things that are actually more user-facing, I think the benefits of HCI become a lot more clear if you're building products that 
or helping build products that a user will at some point use, then obviously like having human-centered uh, skills will be useful there. And I think that employers that I've spoken to have have seen that. I've had a couple of people, also just recruiters who don't know even about HCI, when they see that like on my resume, mm -hmm. they, they make a comment about it. They're like, oh, this actually looks like this would be like, I like how you say this here, like how you're you know focusing on like the human-centered kind of stuff. That's I think stands out to recruiters. Yeah. And I just think that like HCI in general is like a positive thing to have in your, your <laughs> repertoire. Like, well, typically like if you're building UX prototypes, you have to kind of know a little bit of like full stack kind of stuff. You have to know a little bit about a lot of different technologies and be able to very quickly pick stuff up. So I think overall, it just shows that you're very flexible, both in design and also interfacing with humans. And you're just well-versed in a lot of different kinds of technologies. You both said great things just now, like Barnett, with your mention of looking at things from a lot of different perspectives through HCI. And I think you touched on that as well, Matt, because HCI is such a interdisciplinary field um, and trying to see how engineering is applied in it or kind of vice versa, like how we apply the user-centered design and research process to engineering. What's interesting, though, is I was thinking about it earlier, Matt, you mentioned that you were really interested in kind of the non-traditional interfaces, talking about virtual reality and augmented reality. I have some friends that do software engineering and the kind of things that they do at their companies or in school or whatever is websites, mobile applications. But I feel like HCI is a field that feels very future focused, looking beyond the technologies we use today and trying to figure out different things that engineering can be applied to, whether it is AR, VR, tangible interfaces, like projection map, there's all those different type of things. So yeah, I would, I would have to agree with you, Matt. I think adding HCI in our little repertoire of skills is always a good thing. So as we're kind of winding down this episode, um, loved hearing your all's experiences and everything. Um, it's time for our favorite part, which is the hot take question. So as mm -hmm. engineers in HCI, you guys have a bunch of different roles and essentially have to wear a bunch of different hats. Um, so as you mentioned previously, like you might have to do your own research, your own design, maybe even be a product manager and manage your own projects um, along with engineering and developing. But which hat of these hats is your least favorite to wear? Matt, what are your thoughts? I have somewhat of a mild take on this, and I think it's partly because I am more inexperienced in the field. I don't have as much industry experience. Maybe once I have a boss telling me to do one of these things, I will form a, a stronger opinion. But for right now, like um, I enjoy you know research and design in in moderation. The only thing that I will say that I know that I don't the hat that I don't really like wearing is being like a full blown just straight up engineer with no design because. In my CS undergrad, I had an internship where it was just straight software engineering, uh, where I was just kind of given like a very uh, strict thing that I had to implement and just kind of sit there and, and hack at it all day. And I, I definitely did not enjoy that. Um, it was a little bit soul draining. I need some aspect of creativity in what I work on. So that's, I think, why I've started to lean more towards this like HCI, where there's a combination of computing and more creative design process. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's a mild take. That's got to be like medium slash hot take. I think it is difficult when you kind of get siloed into your role and you don't get to participate in like other aspects of the whole process. So yeah, that's a really great point. Barnett, how about you? Like what hat do you not like to wear? I would like strongly say designs. <laughs> <laughs> because purely from the fact that I'm bad at it and 
I used to think that I wasn't so bad at it, but living with my current roommates, I've realized how bad at it I am because my roommates are <laughs> one of the best I've ever seen. So yeah, design is something I'm like, why am I even trying? If I can just give it to uh, like a roommate of mine and they can do a better job in 10 minutes that I would do in an hour. So yeah, I would strongly say design. I love the passion behind that. <laughs> like how much that you're very convinced that, nope, I'm not going to wear that hat. I love yeah. that. I agree. I honestly could not do what designers do. I have, a, I have kind of a follow-up mm-hmm. for you guys because you're both engineers. <laughs> One thing I've really noticed in my experience of working with engineers, whether it's with for like school projects or like at work, is that when you design something or you have research insights or something and you like pass them along to a researcher or to an engineer, you really have to spell stuff mm-hmm. out. We've had design spets that we've passed to the development team. And then the development team just comes up with something completely different from what we sent them. And so we were just wondering as to where is the disconnect in how you guys interpret a design or something and what we put in front of you guys. Because like, it's been wild, my experiences. Like, do any of you know what I'm talking about and have an answer to this? I could take a guess that I've not really had that kind of formal experience of like a designer handing me a spec and having to implement it, but I've I've had designs that I've tried to implement. And I think that one place where disconnect starts is it might be just really difficult to implement something. Like there's been times where I just intentionally like tweak a design or change a design just because the tools that you're using to build it make it really hard to do what the design wants you to do. So sometimes it's just out of convenience, I think, you know, tweaking stuff to make it better fit with the framework you're using. I see. So you take some like creative liberties, but you're not designers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe if I was in like a real company, then I probably would be more strict to the design. But mm-hmm. at this point, I'm basically my own designer. Yeah, I have like experienced this issue a little bit. And I feel like there's a, uh, when you're, handing out stuff to any person in any field there needs to be a little information overlap so that you uh, both the teams can communicate about requirements and how it is to be implemented but i feel when you're handing off designs to engineers there's a like a huge disconnect because a designer almost always never knows how that thing is going to be built and an engineer does not know why something is to look a certain way or feel a certain way or function a certain way. So I think that disconnect causes a lot of issues. I would say uh, something that can be done to help this because I've seen this problem like a lot personally as well as from what my friends have described as well is that if a designer or a researcher who are handing off specs know a little bit about engineering and know about how this can be built in a certain way or how it cannot be. They don't have to build it or they do not need to know exactly how it is to be built. But if they know the limits or the possibilities of the technology, those are really good to have. And similarly on the other side, if the engineer kind of is uh, more interested in terms of how those design specs came in the first place and what those requirements actually mean. And that's the HCI advantage that we talked about earlier. That would be pretty good to have, I feel. Maybe we should all become US engineers and then we would have all the superpowers. I think physically I can't. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't think I could code or um, put on that like developing slash programming hat as well as these two. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to comment really quick after hearing your all's different experiences um, in terms of having things like handed off to you or handing things off to the development team. I think one of the bigger things is like, at least from my experience, if everyone that you kind of need involved on the project is involved earlier on, then you know, as a researcher, that can help kind of reframe your objectives. But then as a designer, you can kind of see what's feasible. Because I know a lot of times like we, like working with designers, they have like these really cool ideas on like how to do something, but then there's so many different constraints that they don't think about because they're not the ones developing it. Mm -hmm. So then when it is like handed off, then I think things get lost or like there's a disconnect because there's only so much you can do based on like the technology and the tools you do have. So I don't know if this is like a way to kind of combat that issue, but I feel like if there's a person from like each part of the process Mm -hmm. at the table to have the conversation earlier on, then I feel like it would limit this whole like disconnect part. Yeah, I think in past experiences, especially in industry, like in larger companies, a lot of companies will have design libraries, of course, um, that kind of coordinate their look and feel Mm -hmm. of of any product that they build. In parallel to that, each of those design components also have like sign off Mm -hmm. from the developers and they say like, this is possible to build. And I think that really smooths it out. Um, It's really just about stitching together the different parts. Mm -hmm. Wow, so many considerations. So cool. (laughs) But we just want to say, as we end our fun episode about engineering, we just want to say thank you so much to Matt and Bernard for being on this episode of the HC Hive. I feel like I learned a lot from you guys. um, And it was just really interesting to hear about so many different experiences. I was surprised. Uh, We really appreciate you guys joining us today. And to all of our listeners out there, tune in next time for an episode about the notorious design interviews. Because if you know, you know. And if you don't, yikes. Hey, just a moment. There's more. This week, we're featuring two artists, Sav Phillips and myself, Austin Pete. We're both first-year master's students in the HCI program here at Georgia Tech. Sav studies digital media, while I focus on interactive computing. The track is called Maybe I Would. If you like what you hear, make sure to tune in for the official release on April 10th, and check out more of our music on Spotify and Apple Music. Find those details in the episode description, and here it is, Maybe I Would. I'm
good Hold up my pump like it's a figure of wood